I've had a rather emotional day, so whatever your beef with Eggsy is, I'd appreciate it enormously if you could just leave us in peace until I finish this lovely pint of Guinness. You should get out of the way, Granddaddy. You'll get hurt and all. He ain't joking. You should go. If you're looking for another rent boy, they're on the corner of Smith Street. Manners maketh man. Welcome into episode one of Film Tank. My name is Alex Diekman and I'll be your host for Film Tank. This is a podcast about film reviews, obviously, uh, and we're going to review current and also older films, uh, depending on uh, what week it is. Um, the kind of things we'll do with films is giving an overall review, also going through different aspects of films, like uh, the plot and also special effects. Uh, you know, the, the actual script, whatever you want to, you know, what have you, I guess, uh, depending on which week it is and what film we're reviewing, we'll kind of change that up a little bit. Uh, you can get a hold of us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. We really encourage you to get involved because although we have different people with different viewpoints on uh, the films we'll be doing, we'd obviously love to have the audience and your individual uh, viewpoint on it on the show. So get a hold of us in our email at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So just go find us on there. Again, my name is Alex Diekman. Just to give you a little uh, feeling about what kind of a film viewer I am. I generally like gangster films. Also, uh, superhero flicks are usually my bag. I'm a big fan of the Batman series, no matter uh, what kind of series it is, whether it be Adam West or Christian Bale. I'm usually a, a fan of the Batman films and other superhero films like some of the Avengers movies, maybe not all of them. Um, my favorite film of all time is Casino, the 1995 film uh, from Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Sharon Stone. Uh, that's my overall favorite film. Also a big fan of Pulp Fiction, The Dark Knight, on the, um, Superbad, all kinds of films. I'm kind of all over the place. So that's the way I like films and the kind of films I like. I pretty much will watch anything like anything. Um, not usually a huge fan of foreign films, but I like them as well. Another host on the show who you'll be hearing hopefully on a weekly basis is Nick Cheney. Welcome to the show, Nick. I um, When you had asked me earlier about what kind of films I like, I had to think about it. But I think I actually came to a pretty, I would think, clear definition in which I, I tend to gravitate toward movies that are depicting something that are, I would think inherently uncinematic. If it's just people in a room talking, if it's just, you know, just any, like, I kind of shy away from the epics and the, you know, special effects and whatnot, but just give me two characters or more simply hashing out problems and whatnot, and that's kind of just what I eat up. I mean, that's why I love one-room movies and movies about just kind of, like, um, puzzles like uh, Primer or Coherence, which are both kind of quantum physics and time travel movies. So you're obviously a huge fan of The Imitation Game, then, too, is about puzzles, right? <laughs> Oh boy, don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh, but and so that's also why my favorite directors are like people like uh, Wes Anderson or even Paul Thomas Anderson, who I think lend a very distinct visual style to ideas that on paper probably sound well, if you want to call it boring, but 
maybe kind of trivial. I mean, if you think about both of their latest films, one was about a Nazi caper and the other one was about a private eye who smokes too much weed. I mean, these are just ideas that inherently sound like they would go nowhere, but these kind of filmmakers just make them keep going, and I just kind of eat that up. And So, yeah, that's kind of the stuff that I like. But at the end of the day, can you really smoke too much weed? Is that like a thing? <laughs> I, You know, after watching Inherent Vice, I don't think you can, apparently, because <laughs> that was the only thing that was keeping that character sane. Especially on the totally off-the-wall scene when Josh Brolin just comes in and eats a whole tray of weed out of nowhere. Yes. And that was actually completely improvised. He was only supposed to eat the joint, I think. But <laughs> when he came into that uh, scene, he just went all out. And that's why Joaquin Phoenix's reaction is completely genuine, because... He had no idea what he was watching, just like the audience. It was just ridiculous. I also love in that scene how Josh Brolin's face kind of explodes. Like, I'm literally thinking he's Popeye the Sailor Man in that scene, and it's great. Yes, it is. That that was one of my favorite films of last year. But um, that scene is in particular is very memorable. So just to throw a few of your favorite films out there, what would you say are your favorite films all time? I mean, I guess I would say if I would do like a top five, it would be Magnolia, uh, Rushmore, obviously by the two filmmakers I've listed. Um, Close Up, which is an Iranian, uh, I want to say, fake documentary, but it's also... It's because you hate America, right? <laughs> that is right. Uh, by Avis Korstami, um about a guy who kind of commits a very, what I think is some people would consider tr- trivial crime. But uh, he just kind of explores it to its fullest. It's, it's a film you really can't talk about in, obviously, a sentence or two, but everybody should watch it. And um, uh, Mulholland Drive by David Lynch is just a wonderful, I don't think I've ever seen uh, dreams captured in the way that David Lynch does on that film. I saw that for the first time in 2014, and I was a big fan. So yeah. I, I think it's one of those, if you just give yourself over to it, you'll at least find something to kind of latch on to. And... Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, The Big Lebowski. That's probably number five with the Coen brothers. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And um, that's a film that I... It's weird. I don't even watch it that often, but every time I do, like, I'm just completely glued for the entire running time, and I notice something new every time. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. It's just because John Turturro says... You do, cannot fuck with the Jesus. I think that's the uh, that's the one that gets me every time. It's you know, as growing up, I figured out that I didn't need Jesus until I met him. <laughs> well, since uh, it's a perfect segue for so our religious person on the show, I'm totally kidding. He's not. Um, <laughs> our other host, uh, his name is Kenny Marcellus, and he will also be here, hopefully, on pretty much a weekly basis. Uh, Kenny, why don't you give us the viewers or listeners, not viewers, because you can't see anything on. <laughs> Audio, obviously. Uh, give the listeners an idea of what kind of uh, film viewer you are. Hey, what's going on? Um, yeah, I, I actually just learned something about Nick. I did not realize you were a fan of The, uh, the Big Lebowski. That's, oh. that's one of my favorites. I thought you were going to sure say not. I did not realize you were a big fan of uh, The Weed. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. <laughs> no, no. Uh, for sure, The Big Lebowski is, is, is a good, accurate description of what I'm into. I, I'm a, a big fan of comedies. Another one of my favorites is Anchorman. So anything in that vein, big comedy fan. Uh, just like actions and sci-fi movies, thrillers of that nature, just, you know, good explosions, good adventurous movies, things that are impossible in real life, but tell a great story uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big on original stories i'm not really too big for remakes and things of that but uh yeah so comedies so when you talk about explosions and things like that are you a fan of most action films that have like big explosions like 
would you consider yourself a big fan of the Transformers series or does it depend on just depend on the movie? It it depends. Um you know, if if there's a movie that doesn't take itself too serious, I'm I'm all for it. I, I guess for whatever reason, what's jumping out to me at the moment that I'm not a fan of was the year the, the movie 2012. For some reason, just was just ridiculous. Well, it's because John Cusack and, is a horrible person. Yeah, so that's, him, and his, him and his sister can go to hell. But he's the <laughs> he's the lead in that movie. He is. I mean, I'm a fan of him, but I can't see him at all anchoring a action thriller that just makes no sense well he he did and it was awful although i will admit i do just throwing this out there i am a fan of the movie identity which i admit is not necessarily a good film but i think it's fairly underrated anyway i also think the problem with 2012 uh is that it came out in 2009 which seems like they missed the boat on that one a little bit (laughs) yeah that yeah i can see that i mean at that point why don't you just wait another three years yeah, I want to. I want to go back and say. I mean, when I say I'm not a fan of remakes, I guess I'm not a fan of like rebooting a franchise, a film franchise. I I'm all for you know books. With I'm, I'm totally blanking on what that's called when they adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. Yep. There you go. So like a Harry Potter or you know things like that, Lord of the Rings. I, I'm big pretty fan. much any movie you probably see is based on a book. Right. Unfortunately, and, that is the state of Hollywood these days. Yeah. Yeah, and and. As, as as the listeners will find with me as this show goes on, I'm I'm gonna be the one that's I I don't dislike many movies. I'm a very generous critic, if you can even call me that. I'm just a very casual Unless you're watching The Wicker Man when you'll be getting out your stick and beating Nicolas Cage to death, hopefully. Because he deserved it. Yeah. No, that'll be good because as you Guys already know I hate everything. So you do, <laughs> except for random movies like Nonstop and non-stop White House Down, and those were both great movies. Both <laughs> Wait a minute, you like Nonstop? I love Nonstop. Nonstop is a, it's one of the the greatest thrillers I've seen in the last five years. It's funny because this is a total reversal because Kenny actually did not love Nonstop. So I can yeah. I can understand why somebody did, but I I think I liked it because a here we have a Liam Neeson vehicle that did not try to force feed uh, action because there really is not that much action. This was actually more about the suspense of his predicament, and it was the, kind of the closest thing I've seen to kind of a new age Hitchcock story and I was just I ate it up except for the last 20 minutes where it just goes off the rails and it tries to make well that's what I was just about to say I was actually all for nonstop. it came on the other day on HBO and I was watching it and and I was all for it until the action picked up at the end and they totally lost me I just it was that's something I completely understand because I'm not a fan of those last 20 minutes but I that doesn't necessarily negate anything I feel up to to that 20 final minutes because of the fact that I personally just I loved it, everything up to it. And, you know, I've seen the film actually quite a few times now. And so um, I've even come to accept those last, uh, that last act for what it is, even if it's not great. But I, 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 I could totally understand that. That's, I mean, obviously I like this film a, a lot more, but Birdman, which just came out earlier in 2014 with Michael Keaton, which is, um, you know, a great film. And there are parts of that movie that I did not love the first time I saw a movie. And I've seen it a few times now. And, I've come to really like those scenes too, because I can totally see what you're saying about you know, kind of, kind of going with scenes, and the more you watch it and see it, think about it, you can like it more and kind of get it more. And but yeah, I still didn't care for those last twenty minutes either of nonstop. There was a, also another thing I didn't love about that film is how each character was a total, kind of 
either stereotype or trope, whatever you want to go about, about certain things. Like you had the black character, which did every single black stereotype throughout the entire film. And I don't know. Silence. I brought up, I brought up black stereotypes. <laughs> no, I just, I, I don't necessarily think that I noticed anything particularly stereotypical of the film as within relation to race. I mean, I don't think anybody was particularly nuanced or anything like that, but I, how many times do you think this? I like probably too many. four times. Way too many. <laughs> but yeah, no, my problem with the ending, just really quickly throwing this out there since I started this, but is the fact that what actually would have been a much better ending is something that would have just been much crazier than what had come before. The problem with the ending for me is it gets too quote unquote logical. I mean, not that it becomes believable, but they, they give a resolution that's basically like, well, this is how it would happen because for some reason we don't want the audience to, you know, start not believing what's happening, but it's already a far-fetched situation. Yeah, it obviously seemed like kind of a rushed final ending. Like, they had a good first two acts, and that third act just was not there. But props to Scoot McNary, because seriously, he needs to be in more films. I'm sorry. He's but... great. Him and him and his buddy Ben Mendelsohn, who are, they've been together in a couple films now that I, 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 I liked both of them, and I loved one of them, Killing Them Softly, the 2012 Brad Pitt flick that, that was really fantastic. good. That that's another film that gets better for me every time I view it. I totally could understand that it does for me as well. Another person we're going to have on the show on a regular basis who unfortunately couldn't uh, join us for episode one of Film Tank uh, is Toussaint Egan. Right? Is that how you say his last name? That is. What kind he'll of be diva, very disappointed that you had to ask. What kind of diva doesn't show up for the first episode? I mean, um, holy crap! How's he going to be in the future? Somebody who has a job. So that's good. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, he unfortunately could not uh, join us. Uh, give you a slight description. I'd rather have him do it, but Toussaint definitely uh, will give kind of a lot of uh, film theory and bring that kind of stuff, uh, just as Nick will, to the podcast, um, probably more than Kenny and I will. Also, he he's a big fan of science fiction films, which I, I feel like Except is... Except Prometheus. <laughs> but I feel like that's one of those things where he loves the genre so much when he sees something he doesn't like, he's got to hate it. That is true, because I actually normally do not like those kind of sci-fi epics, but that movie did not bother me in the same way it did the mainstream public. Well, and that's and that and that's uh, that's why I feel like that's something that I've come to notice over the years is that it really depends on each individual person and how like, a film affects us. And we'll talk about that today with the film we're going to talk about, which is Kingsman: The Secret Service. Uh, that you know, each individual film, even if you don't like or do like that genre, it just depends on what things you're into, what does it for you in certain movies, and how things go. Because we were talking about earlier with nonstop Nick is a person who probably wouldn't love a film you would think of that's like that. And he did Kenny who probably would like movies like that usually did not like it as much as Nick did. So it just really depends on the individual film. So getting to that, we're going to talk about a recently released film in 2015 entitled Kingsman, the secret service. This film uh, directed by Matthew Vaughn, who you'll remember uh, has directed the kick-ass movies, which definitely seems to make sense if you see this movie. He also directed X-Men First Class, which is probably his best work to date. Uh, that came out in 2011 and was one of the best X-Men entries, I think, in the entire series, if not the best. Uh, the film stars Colin Firth, also uh, Teron Egerton, who plays uh, Gary Eggsy. I don't remember what his last name is, or Exy or I don't think the script remembers his last Eggsy. name. Egg, it is Eggsy. Yeah. They, I remember there's a line where there people are making fun of him. But Eggy. Eggy. Oh, Eggy. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah. That's what you get for seeing it way before you do the show. You forget little things like that. 
And also Samuel L. Jackson, who mailed this movie in and was playing a character named Valentine. Uh, he's also in it. To give you a quick description, if you have not seen the trailer, uh, I would encourage you to. But the film is about a spy organization that recruits an unrefined but promising street kid into the agency's ultra-competitive training program so they can join the group of people called Kingsmen as they attack a global threat that emerges from a twisted tech genius. That description, as uh, pretty much all of our descriptions will be on the show, brought to you by IMDb. So starting off, um, kind of interested to see what Nick felt about this film as we viewed this film together. And I know you uh, didn't necessarily love it. So uh, just give me overall kind of what you thought about this film as a whole. No, I, I mean, I saw this a week ago. And unfortunately, this is the kind of film that uh, has been dropping in my esteem ever since I've seen it. Uh, I was not a fan of this at all. And the more I think about it, the more angry it makes me. Um there's, for me, there's a lot of problems attached to this. Uh, the main one being that for, it just doesn't know what it wants to be or what it wants to say. Um, it says there are so many lines in this film where you have uh, a lot of the adult characters uh, talking to each other, saying literally lines like, this isn't your old Bond film. Okay, now I'm a fan of meta humor um, and you know self-referential wink-wink to the audience stuff. I mean, that's kind of some of my favorite stuff. But when you do that, if you, there is a way to do it and there is a way not to. And this is completely in in the latter camp for me because this is your Bond film. This is, besides the fact that they upped uh, the buckets of blood, I don't see how this is any different. In fact, not only do I not think that it's any different, I think it's less campy, less witty, and just less exciting than most Bond films I see. And I don't even really like that franchise. Um... One of the big problems for me was that, uh, like, I know a lot of people had problems with the quote-unquote politics in this film, but that's just, that's ridiculous to me because this is a collaboration between Matthew Vaughn and Mark Miller, who wrote the comics. Um, well, and again, you have to kind of bring the source into this. He directed the kick-ass movies, and if you've seen those, this movie makes sense to where it came from, so. No, for sure. Um, but I don't think that they are trying to make any grand political statements, which is good because they shouldn't be. I don't think they're capable of that. Um, but this is the kind of film where it thinks it's one thing, but then when I watch it personally, it becomes something else. And I think one of the biggest examples of that is that it, in all the interviews, Matthew Vaughn keeps saying that this is, this is, I'm quoting him, mm-hmm. Bond turned up to 11. Okay, besides the fact that, yes, there's more blood I don't see how that's true at all. I mean, there's first of all, there's no mention of sex until the god-awful final punchline. You didn't like the anal sex joke at the end? Come on. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. That was pretty... That was just ridiculous. I'm I mean, have you, have, you, have you seen a movie where the last shot of the film goes into Oven's butthole? I don't think you have. No, and, and was, he's making his case even worse about that because in his uh, interviews, he's literally uh, saying... He said the quote, uh, those bloody feminists are thinking that like that is offensive and that they just need to basically shut up apparently that's what he's thinking but yeah he called them that um, that probably would have gone over in like 1960 if he would have said that right so <laughs> no he clearly has a handle on all this because he says they just need to lighten up but uh for me that that final punchline is actually the kind of the epitome of what's wrong with this movie it, it thinks it's being audacious but what it ended up being is just a really cheap joke that's just not funny to me yeah no i i i 100 agree with you i I go ahead. I'll, I'll get more into that with my review for sure. I think I think it's your turn, Kenny. So let let loose. Let's hear what you oh. liked or disliked about uh, Kingsman: The Secret I, Service. I'm really glad you bring up the fact that you found it to be kind of a 
split personality kind of movie because that's exactly my problem with it. I mean, it's literally embedded in the film's DNA when he they do the whole gentleman versus snob thing. Right. And 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 with lines like this, you know, this isn't that kind of movie. Like, you know, they and they drop that a couple of times. And, you know, I'll preface my review by saying I had less than zero interest in seeing this movie. He did. I can uh, I can vouch for him <laughs> because I I mentioned Kenny was the last person to jump on board with doing the Kingsman review, and uh, he was. Uh, he had to be. Uh, he had to be talked into it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, had we not been doing this show, particularly on this film, I would not have seen it. And my my thought on this, and and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I missed the boat on this. But the trailer for this movie, I I only saw it twice personally. And to me, maybe it's because I didn't see the full length trailer. I just saw like a couple of quick ones. It it didn't did it portray this movie the right way like did it justify I, what the the problem for me is that the second trailer for this movie was awesome and it really showed all the best parts of this film in one straight action collage so and it does and that's the problem because not so much that because we can never really blame a trailer for showing the scenes that we're gonna see in a film because mm-hmm. that's just the nature of them but but the problem for me was that it's still a two hour film that has to fill in time between all of those, you know, money shots in that trailer. And it, for me, that's where the film really fails because I just could not get into these characters and, um, especially the, the, the person who plays the lead. I'm sorry, but if, if this is supposed to be a bond film, then we're, for me, we're supposed to have a young man that's supposed to be likable, charming, witty, able to deliver a one liner. And he just kind of falls flat at every turn for me. Well, I, I just felt like from the trailer what I got out of it because I don't I don't even know I mean what's the dude's name that plays the Eggsy that uh, he is a very unwell known person his name is Taron Egerton. Well, I mean, to me from the trailer I I got out of it like this movie was nothing serious at all mm-hmm. and it was gonna be supposedly almost like a like a iconic, like a current pop icon kind of shithead, almost like a Justin Bieber trying to fit into this role. And, and I, like, I, I didn't take it serious. I took none of this serious and I was so turned off from it that I literally, the couple times I saw the trailer was kind of just like disgusted by it. And mm-hmm. when you guys told me you wanted to review this, I, I almost didn't think you were serious at first, but <laughs> now after I've seen the movie, I will say this. I was pleasantly surprised. I actually quite enjoyed this movie. But, Nick, to your point, it's kind of a split personality movie in the sense that there's times when I witnessed some of the coolest action scenes I've ever seen. I mean, I'm referencing like when they're in Kentucky at that church. That's one of the best scenes, fight scenes, I've ever seen. It, it was just awesome. If you want to talk about stereotypes movies, too, that's uh, that would be one of the scenes you'd reference because oh, yeah. everybody in the Kentucky church is just hating black people and gays well, and everything. Right. It was it's obviously, terrible. it was a parody of a hate group. Yes. I mean, it, right. was, a, it was a Westboro uh, Baptist church stand-in. I don't it necessarily was. think it was trying to make any kind of attack on religion in itself. It was, but at the same time, they were still at a church... And there were there was a preacher technically. No, no, I mean, and... but the Westboro Baptist is a church technically. Right, right. I'm just saying I think they were targeting a very specific and not like some kind of like criticism of the South in general or something like that. But it kind of goes with a lot of the you know a lot of the things they mention 
is today, which is um, racism, people who do not like homosexuals, people who have interracial relationships with other homosexuals. They hit on all of those kind of stereotypes in that one scene. Uh, and all those people are there. And actually, there was a pretty good line in that scene from Colin Firth, which I enjoyed. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was another problem for me, which okay. is that I love Colin Firth in this film, despite the fact that I wasn't really a fan of the film. But and so every time he was on screen, I just kept thinking, why didn't they just make a Bond ripoff and just make it with about him? Because this whole yeah. tug of war between him and the kid just made it that much more clear to me that they it's just not. Like you said, it's schizophrenic, and it just has two movies in one. And for me, the Colin Firth part of the movie was the much better version. Well, I guess, yeah, I, I agree. I, I feel like he just flat out would have been a better leading actor in this movie. But, you know, without looking so much into the meanings behind things, I, I feel like this movie didn't know if it wanted to be kind of a like a current even futuristic kind of action movie there were there were fight scenes that you know it would get so carried away with people jumping through the air and Mm. and fighting you know hand-to-hand combat in the air and and just the most ridiculous over-the-top things happening that would never ever happen i mean look i can give a movie some some leeway and and i can get lost in it and and Mm give them the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I, I've got an imagination, but, but then you've got scenes that are, and they even reference this in the movie. Maybe one of you guys can recall exactly what was said, but there were times when, when they were talking about how they prefer the older Bond movies because they don't, they're not so far-fetched. They don't get carried away with the plot, things like that. And, and, and the scenes like fighting at the church in Kentucky were, there was nothing out of the ordinary about that. Like, had that brawl broken out in real life, nobody was jumping clear across from one side of the room to the other, fighting somebody in the air. Like, it was all very much a realistic fight. And then, you, you know, you, you have scenes where it's just so over the top, it's ridiculous. It was just a very bipolar movie, and I, I just, I took issue with it. And I'm not saying... It was horrible. Like I said, I, I wanted nothing to do with this movie. And, and coming away from it, I was actually pleasantly surprised, with the exception of uh, the Valentine character, Sam Jackson, just one of his absolute most annoying, worst performances. Mailed it in. I, I, I literally couldn't stand him. And it was it was just his voice, the character he was putting on. I mean, Get a lisp in the movie. His, his character wasn't even that bad. Like, had he just come in and done his thing as himself... I would have enjoyed it quite a bit more. But I mean, it's weird because we've seen him in so many great roles like Pulp Fiction and whatnot, and mm-hmm. where he can really ham it up, and yet I feel like, wait, like you said, he mailed it in. Like, if this was supposed to be Bond turned up to 11, then why was he so reserved in his performance? Like, he just didn't seem like he wanted to be there to me. Well, and the problem with him and a lot of other actors that are getting a little older, uh, Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken are the two that come to mind, or they literally will do anything if they pay him enough money now. And he do will do anything that they wanted out of the role. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it was his fault that his character was so bad. I feel like that was the direction he was getting from Matthew Vaughn. And, and I and, agree with that. There was some problems I had there, too. What's mm-hmm. up with the scene with the, the McDonald's product placement? Oh, that was the best scene of the movie. Come on. But was that like intended or was that oh, just oh, yeah. shameless... Right. 
product placement. I think it was it's, it's, it's always intended. Cause it, yeah. Well, I know it was intended, but like it, they, it didn't even come across as a joke. Like it wasn't really like. Well, there was the one punchline. Well, Colin first does. Yes. Does yes. make him. I hope you had a happy thank meal you for the happy meal. Yes. He I, really made a meal out of that line. But <laughs> this leads me to my other problem that I had with this movie, and you alluded to it earlier, Nick. The the line towards the end about the the anal foreplay. <laughs> I don't we'll, know. we'll put it that way. I, it, there were jokes in this movie that were clearly intended as jokes that missed. Yeah. They just missed, and it came off as not funny. And I didn't laugh when I knew I should be laughing. And I just, I don't know. I don't know what this movie wanted to be. I, mean, I really don't. Even the silly, if you want to call them that, Bond films were not trying to be funny. They end up being funny because it's just ridiculous that they took it so seriously. Right. I, I, this sounds probably crazy to you, Alex, but I know Kenny will back me up here. Uh, if this would have been something more in line with like MacGruber, which is a film for me that I find hilarious, I, I do. I know you guys are snickering over there. But... I'm trying, pulling my face, my skin off my face now, and hoping that it will be off my face. But that and is, I can take my eyeballs out of my head. That that is much more of a funnier and just actually kind of a better indictment of just kind of the action genre in general because that is a film that takes itself so seriously that it revolves around back to being just comedic because these characters are archetypes and whatnot. But the problem with Kingsman is that it actually thinks it's telling some kind of meaningful story. I mean, right. The idea of character development for this film is like, I want to use a metaphor here, I'm saying it's like a, a new teenager learning how to drive and he keeps braking every time he thinks he has to stop when mm-hmm. he really should slow down. And then I'm talking about like in the very beginning, there's like basically 20 to 30 minutes of kind of ridiculous character exposition. Um, we see a scene when, in which he's... Eggsy has just stolen a car with his friend, mm-hmm. and he's uh, eluding the police officers. And all of a sudden, he sees a cat in the middle of the road, and he slams on the brake. And that's supposed to be, like, I guess, a character moment that says that he's not the uh, kind of hardened criminal well, that people are going to peg him as. He had several of those throughout the film, actually, and and it kind of made it kind of painted him out to be a, a a caring person. You know, in in the beginning of the movie, where where his his stepdad or his mother's boyfriend whichever it was was By harassing way, him and... spe- speaking of that that's been a big thing recently or it's the stereotypical drunk stepfather and i feel like that has always been a stereotype that has been passed around in film kind of you know what even not even necessarily a certain genre just or across film but i feel like lately that's just been something that's been popping up everywhere is the stereotypically extremely drunk stepfather <laughs> Well, yeah, and and they put it on display definitely in this movie, but there mm-hmm. was that opening scene where his stepdad is is giving him a hard time and it's his little sister, I believe, in the movie. Um yeah. you know, he's he's showing to be the only one in the room that cares about the the little infant in the in the crib and but it's done in such a laughable way for me because yeah. it's literally just a pat on the head and then like that's supposed to be the extent of his carefulness i mean the idea that like oh look how thoughtful he is but but if you were to actually take that scene out of context it's all he did was like show her attention for two seconds yeah. which makes him no better than the drunk stepfather well but it showed that he at least acknowledged the fact that the baby was being neglected and and he had some feelings towards it but then there was the scene where he's training he's in training and they have to pick their dogs mm-hmm. and he ends up with the pug and 
kind of jokingly in the movie he thought it was a a bulldog and he's like what it's gonna grow up isn't it and everybody's like no but he you know he kind of fell in love with the dog it just shows that he has feelings and and it actually kind of painted him out to not be what i thought from the trailer where he was just going to be this douchey kind of cocky kid that was being thrown into this position in life and you know it it gave him a kind of a, a likable position in the movie that i didn't expect well, and I guess to kind of start off my feelings on this film, going off of that, I feel like he is probably the weakest character in the film for me, uh, other than Samuel L. Jackson. Um, the character of Eggsy, uh, as we were talking about, played uh, in the film by, uh, pardon me, by Taron Egerton, is just kind of a throwaway main lead character who shouldn't even be the main lead. You were, you were talking about before, uh, Nick, that. Colin Firth's character should have been the lead in this movie should have been centered around him where ultimately even though that the you know he gets the top billing he's the main person on the tr- on the uh, on the poster uh, Colin Firth is almost a supporting character in this film which is kind of weird yeah he gets sidelined uh, about halfway through and literally with nothing to do because of what happened to his character but mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the most unfortunate uh, move of the script for me because it was definitely during that stretch of time when he's got nothing to do that I was least invested in the film. And as I was uh, saying that uh, Taron Egerton I thought gave a weak performance and obviously alluded to Samuel L. Jackson's struggle in this movie with his lisp and wearing of New York Yankees hats in different colors throughout the movie and his weird he also had this weird phobia of killing people and seeing blood which just made no sense for this movie. Um, but I thought there were a couple of people who gave standout performances, uh, especially Sophie Cookson, who plays the character of Roxy, which was my favorite character. She was the mainly female lead character who is uh, Eggsy's main love interest until he gets uh, taken into anal sex towards the end of the movie. I wouldn't call her love. I mean, they never really ever flirt or... Except during the whole movie when they are flirting, so that's weird. I, I guess I, I feel like I... I yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I saw it in a completely different film because I um, I, I thought one of the best elements of the entire film until it completely threw it all away in that final punchline um, was the fact that they took a female character and they did not make her the sex object or even the love interest. And she becomes a pivotal role in the final mission, too, mm-hmm. uh, separate from Eggsy's mission, although I had problems with that, but I can talk about that later. But I never once got the feeling that they were even trying for a romantic pairing. I, I, I mean, they weren't obviously having romantic moments in the film, but I feel like they are the obvious choices to be love interest if there was a second Kingsman movie, which I'm assuming there won't be. But at the same time... and. Overall, I did enjoy her character, and I enjoyed her character development, and she was more of a a real character instead of just a side woman character in a kind of film like this. Also, um, one of my favorite character actors, Mark Strong, is in this movie. I also liked his character uh, being kind of the technical person with the Kingsman, and he ends up being a pivotal role towards the end of the movie, which is great for me because I feel like he always gets shunned aside at the end of movies, and he kind of gets his one chance to be a main person involved in the climax of the film. And I actually thought he was one of the better parts of the movie, and I enjoyed almost everything about it just because I love that man. Except that his character makes no sense because... That's fine. During that final... This whole movie... It, these during... are the kind of movies that don't have to make sense for me because... No, I know. I, I'm, not going, I... I'm not going into it thinking it's going to be some, you know, seeing all the president's men with Robert Redford and thinking, oh, that's so smart. Like, come on. 
But no, I'm just sorry, but I just couldn't stop laughing at the idea that, like, there were certain things he could hack, but then when it was convenient, then all of a sudden he couldn't hack. Like, it was just whenever the film had to get Eggsy into another room, then it was like, oh, no can do, but don't worry, I can do this, and I can do this, but I can't do that. Well, and, you know, that goes to show that that works with kind of plot structure and story structure, that there are a lot of things that happen in this film that are totally to support the plot and keep the plot moving, which is is i guess a you know necessity for films but it's something that in this modern day I feel like people should not be doing things like that over and over again in films you know what didn't make sense to me this whole movie and <laughs> maybe i just totally missed the boat on this but the uh the character gazelle who was like uh valentine's girlfriend oh, i guess or yes. partner or whatever the, i mean that's part of it i don't know what she was but what like what happened to her legs? Why was she? That was just one of those comic book things. You just mm-hmm. I'm sure you know it was written there. There might even be a backstory. I've never read the comics, but um... yeah, I guess that's part of the problem for me. Is like there was no explanation. I mean, not having ever read anything about it or knowing anything about it, I I would just was like, what is wrong with this girl? So you are up? saying you would prefer if they had a sequel, if it was just an origin story of her character. <laughs> No, no, I'm not saying that. I, I just, you know, a little something. I, I didn't know if she was just a double amputee and, and just was blessed with these ridiculous jumping ability with her, you know, fake legs. I I, I don't know. Like, I just, it, there were just, there was a lot of holes in this movie. And for me, I don't normally think about this kind of shit. So it, there were glaring holes in this movie that just kind of left you scratching your head. And Well, and that's something is we'll talk a little more about the uh, the story structure and the plot i guess i feel like that's something that you come to expect from a film like this that there are going to be kind of gaps in logic and plot holes or whatever you want to call it but at the same time when it gets too egregious even for a movie like this i feel like a like a if you see the original kick-ass even though it's the same kind of movie the story is a lot tighter if you're seeing it even though it's i loved kick-ass kick-ass was a much better movie and it um also had a 14 year old girl saying swear words which apparently does it for everybody because everybody liked that part of a movie for some reason but it's the same kind of story to be quite honest with you this movie is the same kind of plot line with that you know this kind of superhero organization that's hidden away from the world uh and i i don't know it just this movie even though i did like certain parts of it the script writing and the story just all together was not very good my biggest problem with the script is that i Okay, they're they're leading this mission against Valentine, the Samuel L. Jackson character. But what what are they stopping? If you really think about that, mm-hmm. they're, they're stopping his plan. And what his what is his plan exactly? He wanted to what wipe out part of the population. Yeah, but he also had a reason for it because of like the whole global warming parallel, which right. is that we're going to use up all our resources. So the only way to not do that is to you know. Uh, in his eyes, you know, obviously commit a mass genocide, but not at his hands, at everybody else's hands except his. I honestly think that, and this is kind of going off of what you were saying, that this is not going to be, it's not going to be like vampires or zombies were, but I feel like in terms of film, this this is going to be the next thing that people are going to make lots of movies on, is the idea of overpopulation. Um, uh, the next uh, Robert Langdon movie, uh, which is called Inferno. That this whole that whole thing goes around population control. But what what I was bringing up was okay. Uh-huh. So they get through with this mission, and then obviously because of, you know that typical spy film, 
there's this hurrah moment in uh, defeating the bad guy, but what does that solve other than killing one person who is going to do bad? My mm-hmm. initial thought was, okay, so they're the the like the top level of of secret service and and things like that. So, uh, what are they doing that the FBI can't do? Like this guy's going around putting chips in people's heads so they can have free phone calls. I mean, really? Like, is that, does that warrant the top level of security for this country? I I, think we know what they are doing. They are putting people in amazing suits. I think that is their overall goal. I mean, for a spy film, there's really nothing, because they keep calling themselves spies. Yes. They keep harkening back to James Bond. There's no spy buying in this right they literally are just there in nice like you said nice suits not only that but the one time eggsy tried to actually infiltrate something undetected he's found out within like five minutes of being in there Mm -hmm. so i'm i just i have no idea why this kingsman uh organization even exists well and going back to what you guys were talking about earlier about the trying to be the kind of over-the-top James Bond film. I feel like all of that in the script and all that kind of addition, talking about being, you know, not the ordinary James Bond thriller, I feel like that's just something that was just thrown into the script just to make it kind of pop out more because this is a total February release movie that is just the studio saw it and it got made, but it just is not... It's not a good, even though I enjoyed it, and there were parts of this movie that I did genuinely enjoy, and parts of it that I did not care for at all, as we've talked about already. But I don't know, there's just nothing special about this movie, and the script is a big part of the problem for me. I, I want to offer a rebuttal to something you said earlier, which is that your favorite character was, um, what is her name? Roxy. Roxy. And you said that you thought she was the most developed character in the film? I didn't necessarily think she was the most developed character in the I film thought... all the way. Okay. I, I do feel like when she was on screen, I was more interested in finding out about her than about Eggsy or even Colin Firth. Like, Colin Firth's character, honestly, even though he's good in this movie, his all-around character is kind of a bore because okay. we don't really know anything about him. Right. Uh, that doesn't make more sense now that you just said that because the fact that you just said you want to l- learn more about that was actually my general feeling about her which is that we know nothing about her which for me is why she's one of the weaker parts of the movie she's one of the it, she's one of the more interesting parts of the movie because of the fact that um th- she's one of the more interesting parts of the movie because of the fact that she's part of a subversive undercurrent which is we have this female sidekick who is not sexualized in any way unfortunately the movie kind of loses some goodwill for me because what they end up doing that's good is they, um, just to break it down for listeners who haven't seen this film, but basically the whole training thing is one big competition to see who will become the next kind of agent they're looking for. It, it, and, uh, and honestly, you know, I hate to say it, but that's set up totally, even though it's not the exact same, I, it, it, I for some reason got totally got a Hunger Games feel with all that, even though they're not physically oh, killing yeah. each other. I feel like that's just ripping off what's currently popular at the time. At the time, for sure. And so, um, obviously, by the by the midpoint, kind of last third of the movie, it turns out that our main character, our protagonist, uh, Eggsy, does not win this competition because he failed at the kind of final test. Mm-hmm. Um, but Roxy wins, which was a great move, I thought, by the writers. Unfortunately. Once again, they kind of just backtrack on their own subversion because then when it comes to the final mission, for some weird reason, Eggsy is tasked with doing the actual yeah. like hard part of it. All she has to do, right. and I don't want to like downplay 
her as a character, but they literally just strap her to a rocket and and, <laughs> and send her to the moon. I'm just, like that's literally. Well, she doesn't go to the moon; she goes to outer space. Right, but I'm just saying that's like a metaphor for like how they just sideline her. But I thought she was supposed to be the best agent of the competition. Well, I think the point here was it, it just that, tries to have its cake and eat it too. Well, the the Colin Firth character it constantly ties back into the fact that his life in the beginning of the movie was saved by Eggsy's father. And so Colin Firth has some kind of sympathy, even though he failed out of this quote unquote contest. um, You know, he's got some sympathy towards him and he's constantly trying to repay Eggsy in some way for the fact that his father saved his life. And, but yeah, it's, it undermines the entire buildup. In, in the competition and the fact that Eggsy failed, he lost the competition. Which was a great move. And then mm. he stole Colin Firth's goddamn car yeah. and, and yes. left with it. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It was Colin Firth's boss. You're right. Yeah. Um, Michael, Michael Caine's car. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Which just, was a taxi, which made no sense, but that's fine. Yeah. yeah it's a taxi that drives itself, but also <laughs> it doesn't. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but speaking on your Colin Firth point, I would like, go with that off uh, but unfortunately Colin Firth was dead by that point uh right. in the film so even that arc gets shortchanged for just trying to deliver an action packed finale which just did not work for me because it has to rest solely on the on the strength of Samuel L. Jackson versus uh Egerton and it when when you have those two battling uh wits it's if, at least in this film, it's just the most boring thing I've seen. Well, it's because they're probably the two worst characters in the movie overall, even right. though they're two, the two most uh, prominent characters in the movie, which is not good. You were talking about action-packed in terms of the final scene, and I, I guess I want to jump into that really quickly. Um, I feel like the action and the special effects in this film are obviously a big part of it. I feel like the final kind of 15-minute climax is what saved this movie for me that I was very enjoyed by the different things that are going on in different parts of the world. While you're seeing those kind of events happening, you're also seeing what is happening at the main place where all the characters obviously have converged on. You're seeing Taron Egerton's character, Eggsy, at at the absolute top point of where he's going to be. You're seeing the anal sex reference. Um, and I just, for me, I feel like the action in that scene was great. And I feel like the special effects in this movie, other than the horrible, um, graphics in the introduction, uh, I feel like overall the special effects in this movie, even though sometimes they were a little cheesy for this kind of movie, I, I enjoyed them for the most part. I guess the important thing to remember about this movie is that it is serious as it tries to take itself at times. You just can't fall into that trap it's not a serious movie no matter how many important points they try to deliver and how many messages they try to get across it just it just doesn't get to that point and and it's a very light-hearted movie although there are scenes that are serious and try to portray something meaningful i guess you can say i I, I'm trying to not harp on this movie too much because, honest to God, I, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Well, mm-hmm. I will harp on it because I want to make a comment about those special effects. Let's hear it. Um, you know, a lot of people are praising this movie, and specifically Matthew Vaughn in particular for his direction. And Why? why well, <laughs> because they're thinking, uh, as far as like the Westboro Baptist parody. Oh, so, okay. You know, I'm just saying he was able to capture that in a way, which I will admit we don't see too often in a lot of action films, especially ones that come out in February that, you know, with no real fanfare leading up to it. 
But for me, uh, once again, the uh, the direction, the kind of slick, stylized uh, action actually worked against the movie because here we have this, I would say, brutal violence. I mean, you know, we have people being impaled and whatever, and it's all just split second uh, mm-hmm. after split second. And, and, and for me, too, I know you're kind of going out of point about it, but... That split second, whether it be in the climax of the film or in the scene with the the church in Kentucky, I feel like for me, that was the standout part of this movie, even though it, you're going to go to a point about it. But for me, like the different kind of effects used during it and the camera movements, I ate it up. So, Which I can totally understand because I, can, I, I wish I could kind of take off these... <laughs> stupid pretentious goggles and view this as dumb fun mm-hmm. because i i do like as you know i've called a lot of movies that i love dumb fun i mean yeah you were you're a fan was, of white house Down, i was which, gonna say that is a that is the kind of version of dumb fun that i particularly yeah, jamie fox is the president i mean come on how more dumb can you get so hey man not on his jordans um <laughs> but uh when it came to this film the direction was for me just too slick and too stylized that we're being shown, I would say, incredibly violent uh, images that are packed with a lot of meaning, whether Matthew Vaughn intended it or not. And so for his direction uh, to kind of distract the, the mainstream audience away from this kind of like what's actually happening on screen is actually doing it a disservice because it could have gotten, for me, into a kind of an interesting critique of how, you know, when we see these Bond films, we always see him kind of never really kill a lot of people. I mean, usually he kills like one or two people, maybe at the very end when he really has to pull that trigger. Yeah, I, I really think, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I think it really depends on which Bond film you're right. watching. But I'm just saying the general undercurrent is okay. that, you know, he, he does the whole knocking people out thing. You know, like he just disposes of them, especially the henchmen and the whatnot, you know. Um, but here, I mean... Vaughn takes us to a Westboro Baptist Church uh, scene, okay, basically. That's not what they're calling in the film, so I'm not calling them out specifically, but that's obviously what it's invoking. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of like the master, the people in the master, right. not being that's, the Church of Scientology. It's not about Scientology, well. but it is. But <laughs> that's the same thing that's going on here. And uh, by putting our character, Colin Firth, in this situation, and then flipping that switch, uh, which to explain really quickly to listeners is just that Samuel L. Jackson's ultimate plan is to turn everybody's cell phone into like a killing brainwash machine where anybody who has a cell phone that's purchased by him will just start killing everything in sight, um, including our character in that particular situation, Colin Firth. And to go off a little bit, I feel like the satire from that does come through a little bit. We talk about cell phone companies and kind of ruling the world for that. And people being dumb enough to just line up and be like, oh, he's giving this away for free. Obviously, we're not even thinking about that that could happen. I feel like that was one of the parts of the script where the politics of it actually do come through a little bit, at least for me. And it's not just something where you're thinking about it and you're thinking it's it's dumb. I actually felt like that actually made sense Which and actually served its purpose. I could see. But going back to, so if we have Colin Firth, um, I mean, to put him in a Westboro Baptist Church parody scene, and then to flip the switch, we, as an audience, we're basically kind of rooting for him. I mean, if it was in any other situation, we would kind of be looking at that going, what is he doing? You know, even though he's obviously doing it against his will, we're not being faced with any kind of moral quandaries here about violence and whatnot. So, unfortunately, the film, especially in that scene, is just so manipulative, and that definitely extends to his directing style, which is kind of like, look at me, don't look at the actual body count going on here and well, it, have it, fun with this and um so 
I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was only going to kind of add if that scene had happened in like a hospital or something like that, it would have been way more, you would have felt like horrible because there's this killing machine that's just mowing down innocent nurses and, you know, patients in a hospital. Right. I mean, and it would have made no sense for the scene. But uh, I mean, well, I mean, it would it, make it, no it, sense. It, but yeah, I think it would because the yeah. whole point is, is that. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's character is supposed to be a quote-unquote evil character. So we need, as an audience, to feel that what he's doing is bad. I'm sorry, but you're, de- you're stacking the deck way too in favor of your own villain if you put your protagonist in a hate group church, and I then w- you let him slaughter him out. I'm not saying that that means that in any way they, de- they deserve to die, but you're picking the easiest target so that way the audience has uh, kind of like, it just becomes questionably too easy to digest what brutal horrific violence is on screen all aside though that's the most badass fight scene i've seen in quite some time it really is especially because none of it was like too unbelievable it was just a just a fucking badass fight scene and another part about that scene in particular that is the one that in the climax i did really enjoy that final 15 minute scene um, I feel like that is the one scene that I would want to go back and watch again. Cause I feel like if you watch that scene 10 times, you would see it differently every time you would notice small little things. And that's the part about the quick cuts and the quick takes of that scene that I generally, I don't think there is a, just a really quick, but I think it was actually, wasn't it shot to kind of look, I, I think it was obviously trickery, but wasn't it shot to kind of look like it was all in one take? I mean, it wasn't shot to look like it was one take like Birdman was. But well, it was... I'm just saying as far as subtly not trying, because that's the problem with a lot of action films today is that there's way too many cuts. And I think this was, if not no cuts, like very few at well, But that's kind of what I'm getting to about wanting to see it again, because there are small little details about every part of that scene that I would want to go over again just to see what I missed, because it does happen so fast, even if there are not any cuts in it. Um, and, and obviously the climax, climactic scene of this film had the same kind of thing going on, although it was not as condensed as that scene was. I will say those two kind of fight scenes did make me feel a little something, which was after I um, got out of the theater, I went and bought John Wick immediately because it made me want to go see a much better choreographed action sequence because I felt like I'd already seen this before, especially in, um, uh, we just saw together the raid two last year. Mm -hmm. That's a very similar kind of fighting style as far as this kind of like no holds, uh, kind of just brawl thing that's just happening. But I I don't know if you'll agree with me. The raid two is a much better movie than this was. I mean, you can kind of see the, the craft kind of going into that film where this is just, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And, when it was trying too hard, it started to overshadow some very sickly messages that I couldn't swallow. All right. Well, I, I honestly think we've hit on pretty much everything that we could have hit on with this, which is good. Let's uh, kind of get a rating out of five, as we'll do a, a five-star rating system on this show uh, to kind of go on with another. Uh, we talked about the different apps that we're going to use and services, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, down the line, hopefully YouTube or whatever you ha- whatever have you. Uh, we're also going to use uh, Letterbox, which is a great site, which I think a lot of mainstream people probably don't know about. But at least for me, it is just a far superior website in terms of keeping collections and ratings and reviews on than uh, places like IMDb. So if we ever mentioned a Letterbox, that's where you know. And we do have a page on there as well if you wanted to find us on there. So starting with ratings, uh, giving an overall rating and kind of just a yay or nay, yes or no, whether you would tell people listening to this to go see it again let's start with kenny on that and uh give me your rating and uh give me a yay or nay on this one 
as far as a letterbox rating goes, I, I gave it a three out of five. And overall, I'll give it a yay. I mean, it's fun. It's entertaining. Go into it not looking for a lot of meaning. Mm-hmm. Just go into it looking for a good, fun time. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could call this not necessarily a family movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's one way to put it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would not suggest anybody take a child under the age of like 15 to go see this movie. I mean, I guess it depends because kids these days are losing their virginity when they're six. But right, well, um, again, kind of to go along with if you don't think it happening, you better you better start paying attention. Well, to go along kids these days to go along with what we <laughs> talked about earlier with this movie not having a, a direct <laughs> path and what it's trying to accomplish, it aims at a younger generation. It really does. Like it caters to a younger generation. All the tech is there. There's a lot of like pop kind of references, uh, maybe not pop references, but it caters towards a younger generation. It's not in uh, a film for for an older generation, and yet at the same time, it's not a good family movie. It's just it doesn't know what the hell it wants to be. But I, I again though, I hated the fact that we had to see this movie for this show, and <laughs> and I came around on it. So. From what I've seen overall, you know, IMDb wise or other ratings, it it's got a pretty generally good rating. It's got a positive response. So. I was gonna bring that up that um, it's kind of a joke at this point, but the IMDb top two hundred and fifty uh, rating, where they have their users two hundred and fifty top rated films, uh, the Kingsman film is currently in the top two fifty at number mm. two twenty six wow. of all time, well, mind you. Of all, wait, what? Yeah. That's just how IMDb works. I know it just it, it's totally based on how many people have voted on it, and a lot more people have probably given their vote on this than a film like Citizen Kane. So that does not help. But at the same time, it just shows that if you want to go on the IMDb rating system, it's going to be skewed quite a bit from what it actually probably is. Well, to bring it around, I say yay. Go go see it. It's it's entertaining. It's it's worth your time. It's not awful. It's not terrible. Very well. What about you, Nick Cheney? What did you? I know. I know you were kind of hammering this film a little bit. So let's uh, let's hear what you think about it. Well, let me bring the hammer down even more. I, yes. I give this one star out of five, and that's basically that's not the lowest rating because the lowest would be a half star, obviously. So I can understand why somebody would get into this. There is some nice touches, uh, particularly Colin first performance and some of the uh, action scenes. I, at least if it, if they were in a different movie, I would love them pretty much that much more but uh overall this besides the fact that yeah kenny said the film doesn't know what it wants to be i i don't even know if i'm interested in what the film wants to be you know what we actually we had a a bond film turned up to 11 and it was called austin powers and it did Hmm. not take itself as seriously as this film so it's a it's one out of five stars for me and it's a definite nay well and i'm glad you brought up austin powers and spy films and anti-spy and the anti-james bond and going with that genre and pushing it even further. I feel like that at the end of the day was the thing that I disliked the most about this movie, that I wanted it to be really funny. And kind of, as Kenny mentioned earlier, a lot of the jokes just fall flat on their face. There are some parts of this movie that I did find slightly humorous, but I really wanted this to be a really funny movie. Like, I feel like the first kick-ass is a, is a genuinely funny film at, at some parts of it. Some parts are kind of the same thing. 
where you're there, it's trying to be funny, but you're not feeling it. But at the same time, I thought there were parts of that movie that were hilarious. Where this film, I thought there were parts that were slightly humorous, and that was about it. I will say also that I did enjoy the action in this movie. I did enjoy Colin Firth's character, even though I feel like he was completely underused. I guess the best thing I liked about him, and I hope he doesn't get typecasted as this now, is he went from what he has been in the past, which is kind of more of a serious actor. We've seen him in things like the Kane speech and other, and other roles like that. Where in this movie, he's obviously playing a different... Although he's playing kind of a more serious character. So it goes along with what he's, his role is. But at the but same time... he takes it more seriously. Yeah. Like, that's why his jokes actually land when he made <laughs> that uh, Happy Meal joke or whatever. It's because you wouldn't expect him to make these jokes. But we expect uh, Eggsy to be a smartass. So when he is, and he can't actually deliver it that well. That's just why it kind of falls flat. Well, and yeah, that, that's kind of the overall feel I get for this movie, even though I guess I would technically say I enjoyed it more than I didn't, as I also gave this film a three out of five. Um, I did enjoy a lot of this movie uh, and a lot of the action, a lot of parts of it, but a lot of the script and a lot of the comedy fall flat. And you can give for comedy and action falling flat in these kind of movies, but when it's too much, it's just too noticeable. I had to knock it down. And that's why overall I'd have to say no for this movie, recommending it for people. I, I just don't think the uh, general audience would love it, but apparently according to IMDb, they is not correct. They ate it up all the way. And um, you know, whatever, if you want to go out and see it, I wouldn't say that you shouldn't. This isn't a movie like the wicker man or something like that, where if you go see it, you're going to be really upset that you decided to do that. But uh, I don't know. Just just okay for me. I find great irony in the fact that you guys talked me into seeing this movie and I'm the only one recommending it to anybody. I think that's usually how it's going to go. I mean, so. I mostly wanted to talk about it so I could tear it down. Yeah, yeah that's true. And I, I will also mention that Toussaint was planning to be on the show and it just uh, didn't end up happening. And he was the one who really wanted to see this and ended up loving it. So yeah. I would have obviously liked to hear what he had to give on this show, but I'm going to have to ask him now what he liked about it and see see what it is. If he just uh, comes out and says something totally ridiculous, I don't know if I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so moving on a little bit uh, into our um, film viewing kind of weeks is uh, going to do a little bit of a weekend review is going to be kind of a, a uh, you know, every week thing on this show as uh, everybody gives their opinion on things they've seen this week. I guess we'll start with uh, Nick again. Uh, give us a review of what you've viewed this week and whether you liked it and recommended it and kind of how that went. Yeah, I've uh, I viewed quite a few films this week. like every... which, which is going to be every week for you because you, moved, you viewed over 300 films last year. So there you go with that. I'm proud of that. Um, but I only You wanna... should get yourself like a trophy or something. Uh, well, you buy it for me. Um, but I only want to talk about one film uh, for today. Uh, I watched uh, Compliance, which is currently on Netflix right now, so anybody can watch it. And it is a 2012 uh, docudrama about a real-life uh, crime that was committed in 2004. So I'm going to spoil it, but I'm just, I don't feel bad because it happened in real life. So if you don't want to know what happened, stop listening. But this is based on a real crime that happened in 2004 where a um, a man called a mcdonald's and asked for the manager and when he got the manager he started to describe a, f- a female worker that worked there 
and he identified himself as uh, an officer who was working, you know, a police officer who worked at that town and everything. Mm -hmm. And he had said that he had a victim there at his station that um, was a victim of, uh, he basically said that one of the female workers at that McDonald's uh, stole from her purse. And so he needs to get to the bottom of this. So he describes the person that he's looking for exactly and even knows her name. So, of course, the manager brings her back because he goes, you need to get her away from the front counter because she was working. And what ends up happening is it's, it's one of those incredible kind of like two, you just don't believe it when you hear it. But he basically gets the manager to detain her and to even strip search her. And it goes further than that, too. But what ended up happening was it was a prank phone call. It was not a real thing at all. It was, he was completely making it up. It was just, unfortunately, one of those cruel, sadistic moments of human history. And the manager completely fell for it. And the girl in question, of course, was powerless to really do anything about it. So the film just tries to recreate it. And from everything I've read about the real-life scenario, it seems like it's almost point-to-point. Like, it doesn't fictionalize anything. And what was this called again? It's called Compliance. Okay. And it stars uh, Anne Dowd from... Uh, oh, yeah, the, from The, the Leftovers. Leftovers. Yeah. She, she plays the kind of naive Midwestern uh, manager of this particular uh, fast food establishment. It is mm-hmm. kind of careful not to name any real names or anything like that, but this is exactly how it goes down if you watch the movie. You know it would be awesome in that movie if they... Uh, kind of went like, uh, what was the movie with Eddie Murphy where he uh, comes, is coming to America, that's what it is, and he ends up working at McDowell's, which is a total knockoff of McDonald's. Yes. No, that's, uh, that's that reminds me, sorry to go off on another tangent, of a joke in the movie The Ten when the two characters in that movie are blatantly ripping off real restaurants and they're just doing it one by one they just go so you want to go to mcdonald's or oh boo Burger king and, oh, oh yeah we can go to woundies and oh brannigan's brannigan's is all that comes to mind which is a real place we found out when we were in florida uh, earlier this week that there was a restaurant in in uh near orlando florida which had previously been a bennigan's and uh did no longer want to pay the rights to be a brannigan or a bennigan's so they just changed their name to Brannigan's. But they kept the same sign. They just took the E out and put a B in it, or an, an R and an A in it, which was the most ridiculously cheap-looking thing ever. So that was weird. Whatever works. Um, I guess that honestly is the truth. But but going back to uh, compliance, I mean, I read a lot of reviews actually on Letterboxd, and a lot of people, It was I literally just watched it on a whim because A, it was less than 90 minutes, and I was looking for something short to watch, and B... I saw so many reviews of it that went from half star, like people were thinking it was utter shit and it was just not good and whatnot, mm-hmm. to um, a lot of reviews in like the three to four star range. So nobody was thinking that this was a masterpiece or whatever, but you were there was no real middle ground. You were either on board with this or you weren't. So of course I have to take my own opinion and I was actually a fan of this. I This was just a great litmus test for, uh, I think, a viewer's sense of empathy because you're either going to watch this and you're going to think that these... Everybody involved is the stupidest people in the world, and mm-hmm. they not necessarily deserve to have this happen to them, but it's their own fault. Or you're going to watch this, and you're just going to think it's a nightmare. Because for me, I personally think this actually is saying something kind of interesting about the human condition, and kind of like our, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, but our fear of supposed authority of figures, mm-hmm. that we're so afraid of what could happen to us that we'll just believe anything that is said to us if you just simply identify yourself as somebody that's superior to you. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's not, I wouldn't necessarily say something new. Uh, if you look at the opening scene of uh, the first Home Alone, where Joe Pesci, who is, you know, a horrible person who rips off people's houses, is impersonating a police officer, and he just walks right into the family's home, and they're totally just giving out all their information to him because he's wearing a police officer's outfit. No, yeah, if you were a fan of that scene and you wished Kevin got sodomized, then <laughs> you need to watch Compliance because this takes that who, idea. Who is, who is wishing? Who Who is sitting there wishing no, I, that Macaulay Culkin got sodomized in that movie? Nobody, but for me, this really did work as a wonderful kind of introspective movie. Like It works if you're into it because you'll, at least I did, I started to question would I really be that smart that I would totally understand that this was a sham, you know? I'd like to think that I would, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know whenever I get pulled over by a cop, I unfortunately, my first thought is, what the, What did I do? How did I do it wrong? Because I just I just assume that I did something wrong, you know? So I, it's one of those situations where I, I like to think that I'm smarter than the people involved, but yet I also just kind of have a, at least for the 19-year-old the girl that was the real victim of this whole thing, I... I definitely have empathy for her, but for everybody else involved, I'd still just kind of get this, like, I, you know, it, it, it could happen to any one of us, in my opinion. Um, and for me, the, the, the whole film worked on that. And I, I think the most telling thing about the film and what really works is that after this whole entire thing is over, because, you know, it's based on a true story or whatever, before you actually get into the credits, another title card popped up, and it said, 70 similar incidents were reported, which means that this was not just some kind of fluke. This does work. Now, the the event that you'll see in the film, if you ever watch it, which I uh, heartily recommend, is kind of the most extreme case. This is the one that got the furthest, so of course that's why it was picked. Mm-hmm. But it's not just, this isn't just one person making a mistake. This is some kind of flaw in the human DNA to just kind of succumb to authorial figures. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, and I definitely recommend it. And it's short, and it's... You know, even if you hate it, you won't spend that much time with it. But I think you at least have a, a reaction to it, and I think that's important, mostly. So. All right. Well, we will. Uh, you, you've sold me on it, so I'm interested in checking out Compliance now, and maybe the audience is, too. Kenny, what about you? What have you uh, been watching this week? Uh, this week, pretty much as you alluded to, you, you and I, Alex and I, went down to Orlando and spent three or four days down at Universal Studios. And uh, I don't know. I I pretty much spent this weekend leading up to that trip watching movies as I love to do. Mm-hmm. Pretty much on attractions based on the movies. So I I watched Mummy, Mummy Returns. I watched Jurassic Park, which is one of my absolute, if not my favorite movie. Of Jurassic World is going to be shit, by the way. Just let well, you know. That's uh. That's that's your opinion. I, no, that's th- what it's going to be. It's hard to oh. tell you, but well, it's, it's on record now. So we'll it, see. it's been on the record. We talked about this on three separate occasions on the trip. Who I told you that well, it's just yeah. going to be an awful movie, but that's okay. I mean, I, awful is a little extreme. I mean, uh, it might. I don't think so. <laughs> Why don't we let Kenny speak? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> well, apparently Nick is playing the parent here in this this, this conversation. Uh, Alex just hellbent. Even he's going to watch it and find out it's really just not that bad but if, if you come to listen to more than one episode of this show you will realize that i am a big fan of trailers and the way that trailers are done and the way they are presented to the audience and Jura- the jurassic world trailer was like the worst trailer uh, you could possibly put together in my mind so i i guess that's why i think it might not be good also 
There's a long period between the last movie and this one. The last movie was not good. There's no characters from the old part of it in it. I just there's a lot of things that are just leading me down the path that this movie's you not. You will be also good. find as a listener more than Alex liking trailers. He's just an over opinionated asshole. <laughs> so I'd, I'd have to concur. I, I genuinely thought the Jurassic World trailer just wasn't that bad. I, I was very excited over it, and as one of my favorite movies, it's it's got my excitement level up. I'm for sure pumped about it. Well, not that you're breaking the tie, but Nick, what did you think about the Jurassic World trailer? Were you more on my side or Kenny's? I don't really have a, I would say, affection for the original movies. Not because I like dislike them, but I really didn't grow up on them or anything like that, so... I, I don't know, I guess it was exactly what I thought it would be, which is something I don't really care for, but mm-hmm. I I will admit this, despite the fact that I didn't really like the trailer, it did make me want to see the movie, if that makes any... Because I want to see it go either way, really. Mm-hmm. So For sure. Yeah, and, and just to go along with the theme, I also watched the first Harry Potter. I, not to go off on a, on, a, on a total side tangent, but that's the, the big part of the reason we were going to Universal was just to check out a lot of the new Harry Potter stuff that's been built down there. And, and the, the new, or sorry, the first Harry Potter film pretty much encompasses everything you need to know about what's been built down there. So yeah, I just kind of spent the weekend leading up to the trip watching those movies and that's, that's about it. So was there anything overly that you liked, disliked about any of those movies you saw or anything you'd like to recommend to the listening audience? Uh, the only one that I had not seen out of the movies I watched were the Mummy movies, and they were just, uh, you could take them or leave them. I, it's because Brendan Bre- Fraser Brendan is Fraser. a great actor, right? <laughs> He's dog shit. He's terrible. <laughs> just awful. The movies themselves were not terrible. I honestly thought the second one was a little better, actually, but I, I don't know. Just... Well, and the, those movies have kind of fallen by the the problem that there have been so many Scorpion King released straight to TV sequels that it's watered down the original films. I feel like the original Mummy, even though it's not exactly like the Kingsman movie, is kind of one of those films that has a tough time really having an exact genre. It's trying to be corny and fun, but it's also trying to be like a, a treasure movie. Well, it's really and just a, your prototypical monster movie. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, not not exactly though. There's a lot of different kind of parts I, to it. I haven't and, seen it in so many years, I guess. Yeah, it kind of falls victim to being one of those movies that were late '90s. The CGI was atrocious, just <laughs> terrible, and. Had it been done now, maybe it would have been a little more acceptable. The storyline really wasn't terrible for what it was, being a, a you know just kind of a sci-fi action movie. It wasn't unbelievable in the sense that I couldn't believe what was going on. I mean, it, Alex, you were saying it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be, a comedy or a serious movie. I mean, as far as the story goes, it's totally over the top. I mean... There's mummies coming back from 3,000 years ago. It's, But, you know, I I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. but I genuinely do love the guy who plays the actual mummy. who's played by Arnold Voslu, who's just a, just, he does a great job playing with a, like, person who was a mummy and is now coming back to life. I would envision them to be like, like, I feel like that has changed my mind of what a mummy would be. 
And I think that's telling of they did a good job. So yeah. he's the part of the movie that I always love seeing every time, no matter if it's the first or the second Mummy movie. But yeah, for the most part, I'm kind of with you. They're just, well, you yeah. know, he actually did study people who came back from the dead. Uh, so I knew there was a reason. Yeah, no, he's a very method actor. He's also in a movie that we actually saw, Nick and I watched last year, called Blood Diamond. And uh, I really enjoy that film, and I know Nick was not a big fan. He was so. in that. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I just I don't know. He plays uh he plays the, the colonel, who's kind of a major part towards the end of the movie. Okay. Uh, but that's the actually the only other thing that I would mainstream see him in any time in the last ten years. Um, kind of to go off what I've been watching and uh, my review of the week. Uh, the last week I saw a couple films. I watched the Inside Man film, which is a great Spike Lee film if anyone hasn't seen it. It's one of the uh, films that he's thrown in there over the years that does not necessarily follow the kind of the script of what his usual film is like. I feel like a film like this or a film like The 25th Hour are kind of off what you would normally expect to see from Spike Lee. I feel like it does a great job. Clive Owen, in one of his best performances in my world, uh, is is, uh, great in that film as he is... I guess you would say a bank robber, but he's holding a great heist in this film that uh, is not exactly what you are expecting it will be. The film also stars Denzel Washington, and it is really good, so I would uh, recommend that to people. A movie that I wouldn't recommend to anybody other than myself is uh, Valentine's Day, which I saw on Valentine's Day. And I I love it because I love the cheesy jokes in it. I love the ensemble cast. I love a lot of the people in it. Most people hate those movies. That and the one that everybody hates is New Year's Eve. So what and, you're trying to say is that deep down you're just a big teddy bear wanting, I, wanting to be loved. I, I really am. I'm just a big teddy bear who just wants to put on a red bow tie and go have a good time on Valentine's For Day. For the record, I didn't mind Valentine's Day. Actually. Oh, see, there you go. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's For the a, record, I have not seen Valentine's Day, so I have no opinion. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we're all on the record now. It's good <laughs> that we've all put ourselves on the record uh, for everybody to make sure that they know we are, in fact, on the said record. But can, we, Val- can we talk off the record? Yes, please. Okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I don't have anything to oh, say. Oh, well, you got to bring some. You can't just bring up that shit and then I'll, not have anything. It'll come in episode two. Just wait. Oh, okay. I I guess. Um, but I, Valentine's Day, I just really did enjoy. Uh, there's all kinds of character actors who are just thrown in throughout the mix. And also some main actors like Jamie Foxx is in that film. Um, Jessica Biel, who's kind of become more of a prominent actress. And yeah, Kenny's given the thumbs up. She is pretty good looking too. So there is that. <laughs> that's, that's, is that what that meant? Um, I'm assuming that that's what that meant. I don't know what the First thumbs all, up thinking that she's... Jessica Biel has never been more prominent since her time on 7th Heaven. I just wanted to throw that out there because... Something you will know about Nick too, by the way. He's a big television fan. So if oh, he ever makes a I TV am... reference, that's why. Which will be why. every episode. <laughs> yeah, she, well, that's where everybody pretty much knows her from, uh, from 7th Heaven. Obviously, she was main on that show. But she's, uh, I thought, great in this movie and a lot of other people who are awesome. Anne Hathaway, Toby, not Toby McGuire, Topher Grace, pardon me. I always get them confused because they're the, the same person. Toby McGuire. Yeah, pretty much. I, well, I, it's funny because they've kind of switched roles because now nobody wants to touch Toby McGuire because he's not good anymore. But I don't know. And it's weird. Maybe it was at that point when they converged in the Spider Man movie that they just kind of switched stone like a Freaky Friday or something. That was the point when the Spider Man total franchise went from being pretty good to total dog shit so 
And I just want to go on the record and say... I'm glad that. we're all going on the record here because that's good because technically this is all on the record because we're posting this um, on the internet. Oh, so, so I don't have to say on the record. Um, I believe from this point on you do not have okay. to. Well, just for the record, I just want to say that... Um, uh, I actually am a fan of Topher Grace because when I was growing up, the first sitcom I ever started to love was that seventy show. show. So just I was making jokes, but I'm actually a big fan. Yeah, nobody can smell uh, smell. Nobody can sell uh, smart action remarks or smell smart action. Then well, Topher I'm, Grace. Sure, I'm sure he does, but I don't want to make that judgment. Speaking of that seventy show, um, Ashton Kutcher also, who's I guess what you would call the main character in Valentine's Day, if there is one. He's in that, and he's pretty good. I, I'm a lot of people hate it, and that's totally fine. I get it, but I just, I just love it. So, it is what it is. I forgot one thing I wanted to mention. I watched this week. Now we're kind of on the topic of TV. Mm-hmm. The SNL special, the 40th yeah. anniversary from yes. last weekend, was, and this is coming as a, I'm a current SNL fan. I, I will defend the new cast more than most people will. Good luck. I, and yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm a fan. Um, I've been an SL fan, SNL fan my whole life. This was one of the best things I've ever seen. I was from shocked by how good it was. It and was I, amazing. And it I was... say that as someone who, despite the fact that I just said I defend the cast, I, I don't really watch it every week anymore. Right. I mean, I haven't really done that for yeah. years. But, I'm with you. But I, I do, you know, next day view the clips on uh, Hulu, depending on what's mm-hmm. been being praised and whatnot. But I, me and my family, we sat down to watch this 40th anniversary special. And I thought, especially with the three and a half hour running time, that... There was no way this wasn't going to be just a disaster. And yet, mm-hmm. aside from a few moments, uh, Eddie Murphy and, um, <laughs> and the, the Californian sketch, that was yep. actually a shockingly good special. And basically, whoever does the Oscars should basically take note to how to pace and direct a uh, live variety special because this was a star-studded thing that just completely worked. Just a wonderful job of tying together, uh, you know, paying homage to past sketches that were huge hits and tying in new sketches that were yep. current hits and well uh, it's it just, was celebratory and, without becoming self-congratulatory right. which yeah. i thought was the yeah. best part of it well and you, you and i'm glad you mentioned that about the oscars because i feel like that's something that sometimes the oscars fall flat on when not that it has to be like the snl show was from the 40th anniversary but it's so hokey well it is hokey and it gets a little dry where there's just people all they're doing is congratulating everybody who worked with them and they want to thank everybody and thank the academy and then the next person comes up and honestly for me i mean i i love seeing the cinematographer who gets the award and hearing what they had to say whenever but i understand that most people could care care less and not give a shit about the cinematography or the best foreign film or whatever at the same time, uh, there was something the Oscars did with the music, which is one of the parts of the show, which is, for me, at least the weakest, usually. And it was also on the Saturday Night Live special. That Kanye West thing was terrible. Um, I would call it terrible. At least it was something I would. interesting. I, it was interesting for a second, and then it wasn't an interesting anymore, at least like, for me. Do you like Kanye West? I love Kanye West and music. Really? I don't love him as a person. Right, because, musically. He's a, yeah. But no, musically, he's one of the best okay. artists of the last decade. I'm sorry. Wow. But, Ooh, wow. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I like him, least, but I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just with saying, you, but like, that performance, which I agree is not great, like, I, it wasn't near the reason why I'm glad I'm tuned into it, but I'm glad that SNL still basically listens to him. Like, he's the only person in the business that can actually take over SNL. And for his allotted time, he gets to do whatever he wants. And sure, it kind of did not work for the most part 
once he stood up, I actually kind of got into it mm-hmm. when, when he was right. laying there. It was just ridiculous. Speaking but. of him continuing to do his off-the-wall kind of stuff to get attention, this was the definite moment where Miley Cyrus decided to become back to being a regular person and announce to the world that she's not doing crazy shit anymore. Well, so. I don't think she would ever... Be- I mean, there's like a difference... Well, you give me that look, but there's a difference between somebody like Justin Bieber who actually goes off some kind of the deep end and loses all control of their career, or in my opinion, which I'm not even a fan of her music, but would, as I, say, I thought it was pretty clear that somebody like Miley Cyrus was basically just trying to reorganize and completely re you know shape her actual image. I suppose. I feel like there it, it was the same kind of thing that's happening with not necessarily Justin Bieber now, but it, this is something that transcends a lot of other art forms where people try to tear themselves down to just get rid of all the preconceived stereotypes against them. You saw, you've seen it with Walking Phoenix or Cedar right now with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, just those kind of things where they want to get rid of their previous career so they can start fresh and start with something that they really want to create as a persona. Which I think is working for, well, at least two out of the three mentioned. I don't know about Shia LaBeouf, even though I loved him in Infomaniac of last year. But He was good last year. He was good in Fury, too. So, right. so I mean, I, I appreciate him as an actor, but as a person, he's still not given up on his little act yet. And um, it'll, it'll come. Yeah. But um, Joaquin Phoenix, though, arguably, that was probably the best thing he's ever done because before that, he was like, what, the co uh, supporting lead in a, a nice Shyamalan film? I mean,. Yeah, I mean, he's probably best known for being in Gladiator, but... Oh, yeah, I always forget about that film. But that's, <laughs> yeah, but that's also Russell Crowe's film for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, she doesn't really bother me, but I'm not a fan of her music. Um, but going, yeah, back to the SNL uh, special, one other thing I got to say is only SNL can make something that both works as something that I found just deeply poignant and yet hilarious with their uh, In Memoriam uh, montage because... <laughs> It was great to see the kind of the, the past faces, and not only that, but I mean, people were really clapping cause earnestly for all of the people, like the makeup artists who had died, right. and, you know, whatnot, and then to just bring the room back to why we're there, which is to laugh with the uh, the the payoff for the John Lovitz is dead John Lovitz. by showing him. That was yeah. just that was great. So that it was that's just kind of that whole entire special in a nutshell for me which is something that actually just kind of did have an effect on me emotionally which i thought was just so great to see kind of this impact on cultural landscape but also just it was just a good time it's it's good as a fan of snl to to have witnessed over the years so many people bad-mouthing it so badly because people do they just they tear it apart and rightfully so to some extent i mean you see some of the newer stuff up against some of the older stuff and I never want to be that guy that says, oh, back when so-and-so was on the show, it was so much better. But some of the newer stuff is a little hard to, to pit up against the older. But it's it was, it's just good to hear, for the most part, anybody I've talked to about it received it so well that it's just nice to have people enjoying something SNL has done lately. Well, we were kind of talking about that yesterday. Um, I feel like right now it's kind of a hard time at this exact one for SNL because... Other than Keenan Thompson, the entire series is for the most part faceless. And a lot of people just left. And for years, people have talked about Saturday Night Live being kind of, you know, downturn or whatever. But, you know, if you look at the cast over the last, you know, five to seven years, they've had Amy Poehler, they've had Tina Fey, they've had Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Andy Samberg. Jason Sudeikis came yeah. out of there. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's not like there has not been people who are still, you know, 
prominent in the comedy world. They obviously did a lot of good stuff on those shows, but it probably is just not well as well known as like Mike Myers and John Belushi yeah. and that yeah, kind of thing. Most of the people you actually just named have are having much better careers. Yes. Than people like Mike Myers. I mean, well, well, now they are. But Mike Myers, when he he left the show. Had he had Austin Powers, he had Wayne's World, he had a lot of movies that were better. Were those were like the two films that he had? <laughs> okay, but at that time period, <laughs> he, he was doing yeah, but he was doing well where he's had stuff. Then you know later like the Love Guru, and now he's pretty much off the map. So. Right, but I, at least from what I'm noticing, a nice trend is that whoever's jumping ship from SNL, which is happening a lot more frequently, and like cast members are staying around for a lot less time these years, which I can understand, but they're, at least they're being a little more smart about it than I would think the kind of the 90s generation are, because... Well, they're not all dying from cocaine overdoses, so that's good, too. Well, no, they're, they're not doing that. That's quite a bleak note to segue to, <laughs> but... Um, but... Yeah. They're like if you look at uh, like Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, um, yes, they did some comedies when they of course left or whatever, but they were just in the movie The Skeleton Twins last year, mm-hmm. and I think that's the kind of the new trend, which is to try to show either how serious you can be because SNL unfortunately kind of pigeonholes you into that like all you can do is broad comedy and impressions and whatnot, and that's why I think Mike Meyer ran his career into the ground. Um, or you can be like Andy Samberg, which is kind of like, and I know you're not a fan of his humor, but you just kind of don't accept something until you find a vehicle for your brand of humor, like right now what he's doing on Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Fox, which I don't even watch every week, but I enjoy what he's doing. And it, he won the Emmy for it because he's clearly doing something a little more sophisticated in some ways than what he was doing on SNL. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of a big thing when it comes to making yourself not be typecast. Right. As you mentioned, you can easily become just a, oh, he's a comedy person. As some people have made okay careers from it, Jimmy Fallon, he's kept going on, even though I've never found him to be that funny anyways, but he's launched that into a much larger career now. Whereas, as you said, lots of people like Mike Myers or Dana Carvey or John Lovitz, their career basically fizzled out I mean, early in the 2000s. Even like what you would probably consider one of the quote-unquote weirdest people to come out of SNL is um, Will Forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just in an Oscar-nominated film in uh, 2013 with yeah. Nebraska and giving one of the best performances I thought of that year. Um, so I, I definitely think this is a much smarter uh, crew. Uh, except for, of course, the era of like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, who just kept going with what they do best which is just being hilarious and working behind the scenes and stuff like that um but with 30 rock and uh parts of recreation two of the greatest comedies uh, in the last decade on tv so i i just it's, it's just kind of funny to see all those 90s people just kind of completely crashed and burned because they just kept cashing in on the on their checks of snl but while they weren't actually on the show so they just kind of found that they had no place in the that of cinematic landscape. with the exception of will ferrell yes he is the only one that kind of transcended that but but he's kind of hitting his moment like mike myers did where recently he has definitely not been where he was early in the 2000s where now he's made a lot of he's making lines like that movie that's coming out with kevin hart that looks terrible other a lot of stuff lately that it just was not that good and his was, career has kind of definitely fallen down a little bit. It was kind of an eye-opening moment because I really do enjoy most of his comedies. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Anchorman, Teledigan Nights, all that. I even actually enjoyed the uh, the sequel to Anchorman, but I'm kind of in the minority on that. But it was kind of eye-opening when I watched the SNL 40 special and I saw um, the Celebrity Jeopardy skit. And I just remember, like, I was just cracking up because he's so good at the, uh, the Alex Trebek character. 
And um, then I just kind of remember that, oh, he used to be really funny. And it just kind of pains me to see him kind of cashing in on all this recent stuff. Yeah. It, it also is funny, too. We talk about previous cast members, and you also alluded to the uh, memoriam earlier. Um, I, it's always thrown me off, and I guess I'm not part of this generation, but the things I've seen her be in were just not that funny to me, and that's totally fine. But I feel like even more nece- necessarily than John Belushi, who is him and Chris Farley are probably, at the end of the day, the most beloved characters on SNL's history in terms of people who have passed away. But Gilda Radner is al- always, every time like she gets mentioned, she almost gets a standing ovation and the largest clap out of the memoriam and the last person to be on there. And People just genuinely, absolutely loved her in all of her bit. And that, I, that's totally fine for me. I've just never gotten it. But it's just it's just amazing to me still that you know all these years later, because she died almost like almost 30 years ago now, right. that people still genuinely loved her and everything she brought to the show. Yeah. I, I think she's a product of just, I mean, for us, we're in our late 20s. That's well before our generation. Mm-hmm. But she was definitely one of those cast members that I, I guess you could consider past in her prime, you could say. Yeah, it's kind of one uh, of those things where if she had like lived on until present time, she probably, if she passed away in 2015... It would right. not have been as big of a deal. Like same thing if Kurt Cobain had not died, or John Belushi, or any any person who Chris died. Chris Farley. I yeah. Mean, yeah, and I, I don't know. Um, I I think it's just. Well, go ahead and finish your point about Gilda. No, that was really my point. That I feel like those old cast members that people have a lot of heart for them, but if her especially I, that always comes out to me that people seem she is like the most foundly looked upon well cast member that was on the show ever i'll say that's probably true although i would say i think john belushi is the kind of the pillar as far as when i hear the name kind of get brought up as far as whatever but i think she goes hand in hand with belushi in the sense that it's it's is a much bigger felt loss when you're at that snl special or whatever because these are the people that literally planted the roots for this show to last 40 years despite Mm -hmm. despite the fact that these Except for Lauren Michaels, whose name got mentioned over 600 times on the episode. Well, if you're well, a regular SNL watch viewer, he's like, referenced over the top all the time. Yeah, yeah no, and for good reason. Right. So it got the show. laugh, but did it get the right laugh? Right. So, yeah. um, but no, but these, the you know, the, the Belushi and the Radner love, I think, come from the place of A, I mean, I find them hilarious. Um, but B, the fact that they did die before they were able to, you know, kind of go past the prime. And yes, they were one of the the first members that really just kind of drove this show home and kind of, it, it's what made this show kind of like a special kind of, not water cooler show, but it, everybody was talking about Saturday Night Live right. when, when it first, and, and it's because of these people, it's not mm-hmm. because of the writing, it's not because, but it's because these people went out every Saturday and just went wild. But, but kind of what Kenny was talking about before is there's nostalgia, look to people who passed away in their prime and when they were most notably known from, I thought Chevy Chase looked terrible. Like he did not look well. He didn't sound good. He looked like he was an old man. No, he was right there with them in there. He's been on uh, NBC's community. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a regular viewer, that's that's what he looked like for years. I was going to say, if you're not a regular community fan, which I am, I mean, you so glad to hear that. (laughs) You're not a fan. No, I said, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, okay. I, uh, if you watch Community, 
to see him come on SNL was no big surprise, but mm-hmm. if you haven't seen him in a while, oh, yeah. he looks like hell and he he doesn't even sound like himself. Like that's kind of that's kind of the more that what I noticed is that he he sounded almost like a weak old man. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate, but to some, but he came off uh, better than Eddie Murphy did. Well, yeah, that's because well, Eddie Murphy's uh, terrible, so that's fine. And he turned down yeah, the Bill just, Cosby role and yeah, everything. Even if he even if he turned that down, which I can kind of understand because a he's Eddie Murphy present day, which is no longer edgy or whatnot. Um, but maybe you are just trying to be respectful, and you don't want to cast on. But what what what? But I but I feel like offensive he, about that. He, whole here's thing. the thing. If 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 I can just cut in real quickly. Cut right in. Here's the thing about that though. If this was when Eddie Murphy was on the show, which when he did comedy like that, and they said we're going to do a sketch, a sketch, and you are going to parody Bill Cosby because that is currently because that's what SNL does. Right. They poke fun at current incidents that happen, even if it's in the comedy community. But also, he had done Cosby impressions, so it's literally nothing new to him either. But that's kind of what I'm saying. Him him turning it down, like that's one of those things where that cannot become public ever if you're going to turn that down. Because now it just makes him look ten times worse that he turned down doing... Honestly, that scene wasn't even that bad. It was a very short scene that poked fun at the Cosby incident. Right. It just makes Eddie Murphy look like a stuck-up prick. So, whatever. Well, I... I... Without getting into any of that, I really don't want to take away from the fact that it was a brilliant special. Oh, absolutely. I'm 100% with you. Oh, yeah. I, I guess to sum it up, to just, me, what it reminded me most of is is how much of a springboard SNL has been for so many people's careers as far as leaving the show and going into a, somewhat of an acting career. Even, you know, you don't think about it because it's on a, on a weekly basis and you see them and some people have come and gone. But the old band members they brought back, I feel like... Like they're like historic. You see the the, the guitar player and the mm-hmm. and the uh, saxophone player. Like those people, you don't think about it, but you you've seen them every week for almost forty yeah. years. It's been the same people, and you almost forget about them. And more of the genius of this special is they reminded everybody of every aspect of the show, and that it's not just on the actors. It's about everybody who makes it up week to week, and it's just great. I loved it. It was great. On that note, I think we will bring episode one of Film Tank to a close. So uh, thank you very much for listening and tuning in. Again, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're going to have hopefully more, even more ways down the road where you can connect more with the show. But send us an email at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also uh, look on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for Film Tank Show as we're on there as well. Always love to hear from our audience and uh, thoughts on the show. And also uh, reviews for movies. And also uh, maybe we'll have another 30-minute long SNL segment uh, down the road. And uh, you can talk to us about what you like to talk about with that. Or other segments because we'd always like to take ideas and input on the show. So from uh, Kenny, uh, Nick, and myself, thank you very much for listening. Uh, quickly, I guess I should uh, bring up next week. We're going to be talking about a, uh, a movie that is not a current release. A, a, a very, uh, I guess I wouldn't say very, but a, a much older film. A uh, film that was released in 1974, uh, starring Gary or part Gary Gene Hackman, <laughs> starring Gary Hackman, uh, starring Gene Hackman, called the Conversation. Uh, this is kind of around the time when uh, Gene Hackman was in other movies that are a lot more, I would say, critically acclaimed but kind of renowned. Uh, this movie is kind of a little bit lower, although it is directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who at the time was doing the Godfather films. Um, you know, this is a movie that is on Netflix, so we would encourage you, uh, the audience or the listener, to go check it out before then. 
But we'll be talking about this next week and uh, giving a review on it and hitting on other things happening around the film world. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.